This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. is up champs and welcome to another episode of the keeping carlson presents the short shifts podcast i am your host ben burnett joining me as always lewis e ezekiel and the e is for ennis comma tyler is ruining your life <laughs> lewis how you doing tonight I'm doing all right. It has been kind of depressing with Tyler Ennis going off against me this week. It's a weird week. I'm in a bad spot. I think I'm just going to write it off and get ready for next time. It is a weird week. It's a bad week. I have to say, this is like the first week where I'm just getting absolutely stomped in the cupful. Um, I'm down 30 already, and there's like five or six days to go. I had originally made plans for a midweek ad and a weekend ad. I think I'm just going to abandon ship at this point and move on. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think uh, at least you and I and Elon are suffering some rough weeks. We've had several weeks where all four of the Keeping Carlson podcasters uh, were winning all their matches, but this is not one of them. It's just not meant to be. It's uh, it's regression, I think, is the term. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's get into it, Lewis. It is the Tuesday after the All-Star weekend, so, you know, coming into this morning, we we're like, oh, God, are there any headlines? And uh, after a few hours, I will have to say there are several headlines that we need to get to today, starting in Buffalo, where I just watched a video clip of Linus Allmark going down with an apparent right leg injury. Looks really bad. He kind of tripped in the crease and he went down hard with his leg bent back. He needed to be helped off of the ice. It's with a very heavy heart that I ask this, Lewis. Is it Carter Hutton season? Uh, in so much as it's likely that Carter Hutton will be starting at least the next few games from for Buffalo, then yes, it is Carter Hutton season. If you're talking about is it time to rush to the waiver wire to add Carter Hutton, I'm not so sure that that is the case. I would agree with you. I don't have a lot of faith in Carter Hutton's existence producing worthwhile fantasy goaltending. So, you know, I'm down on the idea of Carter Hutton, but it's not like Buffalo has been a terrible place to be a goaltender lately, at least not for Allmark, right? Yeah, Allmark, four straight starts with an above 920, and three of those games were wins. Somehow he lost 2-1 to Nashville, which is virtually unthinkable at this point in the NHL season. A uh, bit of a tougher go so far tonight, but he had 30 saves on 33 shots, so you hate to see it. I would have to imagine that he's going to miss a few weeks I will, I'm disappointed to see Allmark go down for a few weeks. Obviously, neither of us are excited about Carter Hutton. Do we think it could be Uko Pekka Luokonen's time to get called up and force hundreds of fantasy analysts to learn a very K-filled name? Well, I, that was a pretty impressive rendition. I hope it was accurate, because if, if you stuck the landing, that's really outstanding. <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I would love to see it just because this has been such a season of these Houdat goalies coming up and making an impact. Uh, and obviously this is a guy that, you know, there's some buzz around and that Buffalo fans are, are excited for and, and hoping that he'll make an impact on the line. Uh, I don't know if this is necessarily the best situation uh, for a new goalie coming in, but we probably would have said that about Columbus, too. I think they're certainly capable of more stifling defensive play than Buffalo is. Um, but, you know, if Allmark has been able to be successful, uh, maybe, what's that first name? Uko. Maybe Uko can be as well. It would be really interesting to see. I think just for... You know, the interest of fantasy owners, dynasty owners especially, around the globe. Give Uko a chance. Get Carter Hutton. He's had his shot. Yes, I hope to God that we're pronouncing Uko's first name right. We'll find out quickly. If not, though, I'm sure that folks will let us know. Uh, from in a fresh injury in Buffalo over to a hopefully outry in the near future was reading the Dauber ramblings this morning and it mentioned that uh, a, a St. Louis Blues beat writer asked Vladimir Tarasenko if he would be back mid-March as per the report from his original uh, injury timeline and he said that he will be back sooner than mid-March uh, to quote the Dauber Ramblings piece, if Tarasenko thinks he can be back sooner than mid-March, that means fantasy owners can probably still get a month of usage out of him. How effective he'll be returning from a four- or five-month absence as teams are grinding for the playoffs is another question. So I'm curious, Lewis, what do we think of this report? Do we think we'll see Tank back during the fantasy season? And who would benefit if he does return? So... That's a really interesting one. I think it would be obviously great for the Blues if they could get him back. He's a he's a stalwart. They've had some great depth step up. David Perron obviously is having an outstanding season. Alex Steen has been really productive lately. I believe he has a goal uh, here on Tuesday evening. He does, yeah. It's been really good, obviously, for the Blues to show that they can survive with Tank on the shelf. Um you know, I, I guess the only question about his effectiveness after a return from an absence, if he's skating already, won't be conditioning, but rather, you know, how strong he feels in his shoulder. Can he take a hit? Can he shoot the way that, you know, he, he has been in the past? Um, I'm no doctor. I can't answer that question. But I do think that, you know, since it's not a leg injury, since it's not something that's going to interfere too much with his conditioning, I think he might be able to, if he's feeling good and feeling confident, uh, come back and make a real impact. To me, this seems like if you are in a one-year league, this would be the time to go out and potentially make an offer before people catch up on this particular bit of news. What do you think? Yeah, I wonder if you would be sounding the alarm if uh, if somebody were to see your offer and think, oh, maybe I should go check it out. You, you might have to trick someone into offering him to you, maybe. But um, yeah, I think that Personally, I think that he's probably being a little optimistic, would be my assumption. Like, of course, he wants to come back. He's a competitor. He wants to play this year. He wants to get back in time to be ready for the playoffs, I'm sure. I am not going to get my hopes up until we see an actual report from the team that they're looking at him coming back. And as we mentioned on the last episode of Short Shifts, I think there is some concern that the Blues may go the more conservative route since they are, you know, likely secured in their playoff spot. You know, why, you know, risk potentially re-injury for one of their stars when they can hold on to him for the playoffs? Uh, you brought that up and I thought that was a really good point. Um, but, 
you know, are they going to be able to take a healthy Tarasenko and tell him basically, no, stay off the ice? Yes, probably they could, but I don't know uh, how thrilled he would be about that idea. It'll be interesting to see how this all unfolds. Right. And so my assumption would be this would be a huge boost for Jaden Schwartz and Braden Shen, who I think Tarasenko fits in right on that right side. Likely, in my opinion, you would keep the O'Reilly Perron pairing together. And then maybe you give maybe you give Robert Thomas a chance on that second line wing spot. Put Bozak back in the third, the three C. Uh, I think that that could be a really nice boost to the entire top six to have Tarasenko back to pull defensive schemes away from that second line and give all of these guys an opportunity to have a little bit more, uh, more offensive output. Yeah, Schwartz has been kind of keeping that top line relevant with some pretty unsustainable production. So it's obviously great to see. But I think, yes, having Tarasenko there to, you know, provide another great option on the first line, it's kind of been a carousel of uh, lesser wingers up there. Obviously, getting their true superstar back on the top line would be fantastic. And the Schwartz-Shen, you know, it has positive impact, I think, at least up through the top six. Yes. Let's talk one more outjury here. I want to talk about Kyle Palmieri back in the Devils lineup on Monday in a 4-3 overtime win over Ottawa. Palmieri slotted right back up on that first line with Jesper Bratt and Nico Heischer. Palmieri and Heischer have actually been pretty great together since Taylor Hall's departure. Palmieri's missed some time, but he does have 13 points in 14 games since Hall came out of the lineup ahead of his trade. While Heischer has 14 points in 18 games, he has not missed time. Uh, the two seem to be meshing pretty well, despite the absence of a superstar on their line. What do we think about Heishier, Palmieri, or any of these other depth pieces in New Jersey with a, with a more healthy lineup moving forward? Do you think there are listeners in New Jersey who are howling over us declaring that their number one overall pick may not be a superstar? I mean, he clearly isn't this year. No, you're right. Absolutely. Uh, and, and he has been doing an admirable job of staying afloat with Hall gone. New Jersey would be foolish to not get something for Paul Mary. Uh, I believe our last episode, you talked a little bit about some interest from Boston. Uh, I think for Paul Mary owners, they would be pretty excited to see him lined up next to someone like David Krejci on the second line. But would he be more successful than he's been with Heeshear here? It's hard to say. He's been, uh, I think maybe scraping his ceiling in terms of his productive capability at this point. Yeah, I would say that it would be a downgrade for Paul Mary to move just because you're not going to see him get top line, top power play deployment in Boston. Um, nice as it would be to play alongside David Krejci, who Brian and Elon mentioned has been very consistently excellent on the most recent Keeping Carlson episode. Obviously great to see Paul Mary come back and score a goal. It was interesting to see that Jack Hughes was relegated to third-line duties with Wayne Simmons and Pavel Zaka. Sure seems like we are a year away, at least, from uh, the real arrival of Jack Hughes, right? I totally agree with you. I did notice that Jack Hughes had eight shots last night in Ottawa. An interesting development. At least he's taking his shots. If he can start to convert, maybe it becomes interesting. But I'm definitely not getting my hopes up until I start seeing the points going into the column. One more headline here before we get into our final segment, Lewis. I wanted to chat about Jakob Verana in Washington. He's been on fire lately. Nine, 11 points in his last nine games. Now on pace for 69 points this season. What do we think about somebody who has been unable to claw his way out of the middle six in Washington is 
Varana, sustainable or fleeting? So as you mentioned, he's on a nice hot streak right now. The 23-year-old is in the midst of his breakout threshold. This was a term introduced in this year's Dabber Hockey Guide to replace the concept of the fourth-year breakout. I think Dabber was kind of struggling with some of the issues of players who were in their fourth year, but maybe they had missed some games due to injury, that sort of thing. The idea basically is that beginning around 200 games, average size forwards start to uh, make a big leap forward. They have their feet under them. They're used to the speed of the NHL game, and they begin to make major progress with regard to developing their scoring acumen. If you believe this or not, Verana is making the most of these opportunities available to him while he is, you know, climbing up into his 200s of games. Compared to the first half of the season, the seven games so far of quarter three show over a minute of additional ice time and his power play time on ice nearly doubling to over three minutes per game. This is over a pretty limited sample size of just seven games, but it is worth noting that this could become the new sort of standard for Verona moving forward. Even still, only three of his 11 points on this current streak are power play points, and he's got just one power play goal this season with 22 at even strength. And he's really using this extra time on ice to good effect, averaging over three shots a game during this nine-game streak. Well, so I think the interesting thing with Verana right now is that he has seems to have jumped over Evgeny Kuznetsov in the power play option. Uh, pecking order? He's, I guess, yeah. He seems to have jumped over Evgeny Kuznetsov in the pecking order for power play time on ice the last couple of weeks. Washington's been a little bit disorganized with their usage. It seems like they're willing to send out some uh, some mix and match lines on the, on the uh, power play, but more often than not, Verona has started with the top unit of TJ Oshie, Backstrom, Ovechkin, and Carlson. And uh, they've been pretty effective. As you said, they've been able to put up some points. So I think the main question here for someone like Verona, who's been able to score at even strength, as you said, he's ranked third in the league, in fact, in even strength goals. I think the question here is whether or not we think that he can outpace Evgeny Kuznetsov in power play time on ice the rest of the way. Yeah, I think that's a big open-ended question and really interesting. Obviously, he's been extremely productive at even strength. So if he could get into more of these power play points that could really rise him to kind of elite status. There are some warning signs that I think we need to watch out for. The biggest one is that he's scored on nearly a third of those shots that he's taken over the last nine games. We certainly can't expect Verona to continue to score on eight of every 27 shots, and he has nearly three quarters of an extra goal per 60 minutes over his expected rate. Uh, and he's got a pretty high on-ice shooting percentage at 12.42. It's worth noting it was pretty high last year also, 11 plus percent. And it, you know, it might be the kind of thing that you would expect when you're spending more time with Kuznetsov and Backstrom and shooting percentage legend TJ Oshie and less time with Lars Eller and Garnett Hathaway. Uh, still something that is likely to regress. Well, and the other thing there, Lewis, about his on-ice shooting percentage is that if he's going to go out and get a bunch more power play time on ice over the last 40 games, that could really alleviate some of the loss when he inevitably regresses back down to around a 9.5 or 10% on-ice shooting percentage. Yeah, absolutely. When you've got Ovechkin bombing from that circle, uh, that's going to help you keep those on-ice shooting percentages up in that higher region. Uh, and, you know, Verona also has raised his assist rate, and his IPP isn't excessive for a forward, so I think those points will continue to come, even if he doesn't maintain his pace in terms of goal scoring. 
So overall, I don't think he's going to score at his recent 100-point pace that he has over these last nine games. Uh, but a boost to his power play time and his even strength time on ice with more consistent top six deployment should have him pacing above his first half average of 65 points too. So I like him to continue to show some improvement over his current pace and end up between a 70 and 75 point pace for the rest of the year. Uh, I'm a little nervous just because that power play time role is a bit up in the air. It could just as easily go back to Kuznetsov, but what do you think? I think he'll all but certainly smash his career numbers, but can he pace for 70 plus for the remainder of the year? I would lean towards no. I think he's more of a 60 to 65 point guy, but this really is one of those things where it depends on whether or not he can hold on to that power play time on ice. Uh, Verano was someone I kind of saw as a regression candidate in the second half, but those power play time on ice totals are nothing to joke about. And honestly, when you look at the amount of time that he spent on the ice from one, from last year to this year, there's not that big of a difference except in the fact that he's getting a lot more time on the power play. So that's a spot where I could see him getting up into the 70 point range, but he would need to have really excellent deployment to get him there. And I'm not yet ready to say that Kuznetsov is going to stay off the top unit for the rest of the season. I mean, maybe they go with a bit of a, a mix and match approach and maybe Tom Wilson gets some time up there. Maybe Verana, maybe Kuznetsov, maybe they cycle Oshi out of his spot. I don't really know what they're going to do in that sense, but I think that for him to get up above 70%, he would, he would need to be on the top power play rest of the season. Yeah, it definitely will be interesting to see. Uh, how Verona continues to progress throughout the course of the year. He's been someone who's been really interesting. I think a lot of people have sort of been waiting for him to sort of break through into that power play one position and really grab it and hold on to it. Obviously, with so much talent in Washington, they have plenty of options up there. So it's not like he is going to feel secure about his position there for the next while here. But Absolutely. He's showing us that he can be a very productive forward. I think Dabber had him predicted for about 52 points this year. Uh, he's going to have that. Oh, he only needs 11 points to, to break that prediction. Uh, and I think he will cruise right past it and on to setting some pretty impressive new career totals for him. All right. Well, Lewis, let's get into our last segment of today's show. We are going to chat about a couple of goaltending situations, and we are going to say who we think has grabbed the reins in the starters net. Lewis, you are going to introduce our tandems, and then we are both going to discuss who we think is in the number one spot. Why don't you start us off here? All right. A fun opportunity to play some pick your goalie poison. I hope that we can provide you with some useful fantasy advice as you are struggling, like all fantasy owners, with trying to deal with these wild back and forth goalie tandem races. Talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins. They don't play again until Friday, so unfortunately Short Shifts is going to have very limited info for you this week. Um, but Matt Murray has four quality starts in his last five, all five over 900 save percentage, all wins. And he's staging quite the comeback against Tristan Jari, whose last five has featured only two quality starts, although he has managed to get three wins. I'm really interested to see who is going to start on Friday. I think a lot of people who managed to pick up Jari uh, or who, you know, grabbed Murray when his price was low is also, are also going to be anxiously looking forward to see who grabs that start. Hopefully by the time you're listening to the Sunday podcast, there will be more information out there. The Penguins will have played twice by then, so we should have a clear idea of how this goalie race is setting up. Do you have a preference uh, between these two? Do you feel like one of them is more likely to grab the reins than the other? Yeah, I mean, I still think it's Jari right now. I, 
you can say however many wins either of them has, but we're talking about a team that's been incredible this year. So goalie wins as a, as a statistic is often useful because it'll tell you maybe which way the coach favors them. But I don't think that in this case, it's really being predictive about which one has been stronger. Uh, I think it's still Jari until he, until we start to see Matt Murray actually wrestle the net back. He really has not, you know, strung us, had a string of starts together where he's been able to be in net. And until we see, you know, three, four starts in a row, I think it's still Tristan Jari. All right, well, that's optimistic for myself as a Jari owner, so I choose to believe it because it makes me feel better. Uh, let's jump on to one that is a little more competitive and active right now, uh, an interesting one in Washington. It seems like Coach Reardon really wants to make Holtby happen. He got the first start after the All-Star game, despite starting in the All-Star game over Ilya Samsonov, and he played quite well in a 4-2 win over the Canadians without Alex Ovechkin on Monday. This was his first 900-plus appearance since December 21st, if you can believe it. Uh, Holtby is also scheduled to play Wednesday versus Nashville, and Samsonov draws Friday's match versus Ottawa. Samsonov still possesses far superior numbers across all categories, but my prediction about him starting two of every three games for the second half is starting to look a little shaky here. What is your prognosis on this battle? I think this reminds me quite a bit about the Cam Talbot hype of 2019, where he looks like he was going to be stealing some starts and becoming the number one in Calgary. And then as soon as uh, David Riddick had a good start. They were like, see, he's our guy. I think that the Caps still look at Braden Holtby as their guy. Ilya Samsonov in interviews recently was referring to Holtby as the starter. I think that this is pretty normal stuff. I, I do think, you know, in a keeper league, Samsonov is almost definitely going to be the starter in September, in October next year. But for now, they still, they still view Holtby as the guy, regardless of, you know, whatever fancy stats we have that show us that Samsonov has been the stronger Nemo. Yeah, and even the not-so-exciting fancy stats have shown, obviously, that Samsonov has been capable of stringing together some wins in a way that Holtby has really struggled to, but uh, a chance to go out there on Wednesday and secure a win versus Nashville, and I think that does put the ball maybe back in Holtby's court. It's amazing what having won a cup with a team will do for you. It buys you quite a lot of opportunity, although maybe Matt Murray is listening to, to this podcast and screaming at me that he's won two and he can't seem to get any darn respects. So uh, I don't know if maybe I'm maybe I'm way off on that comment. Well, I think that part of it is the the cup win, and the other part of it is the uncertainty of having a rookie goaltender in net in Washington. You know, I'm not going to assume that the thought process between Jari and Murray is the same as Holby and Samsonov. Yeah, great point. All right, let's head to our defending Stanley Cup champions, the St. Louis Blues, who have a bit of a goalie controversy here, although it may be sorting itself out somewhat. So Jake Allen has just one sub-900 game in his last eight starts uh, and has twice taken over for Bennington, who was pulled from the net recently. Uh, he did lose to Vancouver on Monday night, but did put up a respectable 920 save percentage and continues to appear to be quite a reliable option relative to Bennington, who has, over his last six starts, three quality starts and three really bad starts 
in his last six games. Do you think that the edge is in Allen's favor here in the short term, considering his success recently? No. <laughs> I I truly, I actually disagree with the concept of a controversy in St. Louis. I do not think that they, the Blues are in any way thinking about Jake Allen as their starter. Um, you know, as fantasy analysts, I think that we can often get caught up in the minutia of very small sample sizes where we're looking at, you know, oh, there's four games right now where one player was good and the other was bad in their last two. So therefore, they're making these big lineup altering changes. But honestly, or as good as Jake Allen has been this year, he was much, much worse last year. I think that him being successful in a backup role is says to the St. Louis Blues that he can be good in a backup role. I don't think it says to them, now we can put him back in the starter's crease and depend on him. Bennington, a guy who just won them a cup, in a way that Matt Murray really, I don't think, did in San- in Pittsburgh. You know, his second year in particular, he really only played in the cup final. Uh, obviously, he had a great run the first year. Uh, that they are the in his first year where they won that cup in 2016, but it's been a while where he's really carried that team. I think that in St. Louis, and they mentioned this on the Megapod on Sunday, Brian and Elon kind of, I, I agree with their take. I think it's Bennington's net still. I think it would take a lot more than, you know, the last couple months to, to shake him out of there. Yeah, you know, I think you make a great observation. Obviously, Bennington put that whole team on his shoulders in the. 2018-2019 season and carried them quite a long way uh, in a way that yeah Matt Murray really wasn't asked to in you know his his cup season seasons I should say and and I think that memory of what Jake Allen has done to the Blues in the past I mean the reason they were down there in the the bottom of the standings was in large part because Jake Allen was such a disaster and I think you're absolutely right I think a good spot for Allen to play is as a backup here you know there was a lot of talk that you know finally Allen was going to get the net to himself a couple seasons ago and he wasn't going to have to look over his shoulder and this was going to be the dawning of you know the Jake Allen being as successful as he had ever been uh and it turned out that the opposite was true. It was really a disaster. So maybe this is the perfect spot to Allen be in, to come in and be a very competent backup goalie uh, for his team, but not to take on that firm number one spot. Yeah, I think it's just an important thing to remember that like backup goaltenders performing well doesn't always mean to the coach, now this guy needs to get th- three quarters of our starts. It it often could just mean, I'm glad that we have those 25% locked down and now our starter just needs to get his game in, in line. And I would assume that that's where the Blues are at personally. Yeah, and it seems like the Caps may be in that exact same situation as well. Sure, yeah, that's a good point. We've talked about the Caps having given the reins up to Grubauer at the end of the season when they won the Cup in 2017. That was under Barry Trotz, though. I mean, I wonder if this is a Todd Reardon situation where he's not comfortable giving up the giving up on Braden Holtby. You know, it, it was a different coach who who ended up handing over the reins. Maybe I'm just looking too too deep into the tea leaves here, though. Maybe I think I'm getting caught up too much in the hype. So I think we're balancing each other out. <laughs> I badly want Sam Sonoff in there. I feel like he's doing such a great job, but I totally understand where you're coming from. The coach's comfort level, certainly. You know, this this plays a big role. He's got to go with the person that he feels like he can trust. 
And just because, you know, we're looking at the results on the ice as fantasy owners, that doesn't mean that the coach isn't seeing something different day in and day out in practice and that sort of thing. Let's head over to the West Coast and take a look at the goalie tandem in San Jose. Aaron Dell continues to roll. He's had a 929 or above in three wins in the last five games, just below 900 in the two losses. Uh, Jones has had two starts in the last 10. Both were sub 900 losses, including a really bad start at 828. Dell seems like he should be firmly in the number one spot, but it does appear that Jones will start Wednesday's game. Dell had a fine game on Monday, uh, defeating the Anaheim Ducks 4-2, to two, but it is going to be Jones' next uh, game on Wednesday night against Vancouver, possibly since Dell surrendered four goals to them in their last meeting. How do you think this shakes out? Is Dell the guy here? Are they going to see 50-50 time if Jones can be competent at all? Uh, how do you see this playing out in San Jose? Yeah, I think it's I think it's Dell for the the medium term at this point. I think he's played his way into that position and he's been more or less a league average goalie now over the course of the year. You cannot say the same thing about Martin Jones. Um so yeah, I, th- I think it's Dell until further notice. Absolutely. Lewis, that's all the time we have for tonight. For myself, Ben Burnett, I'm signing on out of here. Why don't you take us home? All right. Want to acknowledge Natural Stat Trick and Fantrax for helping with research today. Uh, if you are interested in interacting with us online, please uh, give us a follow at Average Time or at AVG Time on Ice. You also can become a patron of Keeping Carlson at keepingcarlson.com slash patron and join the patron only Facebook group. Uh, it also gives you access to the Cuckupful, a giant multi-layer, multi-tier uh, fantasy league, which is a ton of fun, by far the most competitive league I've ever participated in. Uh, our buddies and super patrons, Ryan and Marcus, are running the Cigar League now, which is Can I Get a Redo, which gives you the opportunity to redraft your team at the midpoint of the season and compete for the rest of the year. They're having great fun with that. So lots of great opportunities to get more involved in the Keeping Carlson community. Uh, As for myself and Ben, we will see you on Friday morning. Uh, Looking forward to seeing some more games as this weird week comes to its conclusion. And until it does, make sure that you play smart and keep your shifts short.